Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. I'm holding in my hand here a book uh, from Jack Resnicki and Edward C. Greenberg. It's called The Photographer's Survival Manual. It's a legal guide for artists in the digital age. And I, uh, I was in Maui um, about a week ago doing, the, doing a, a couple of talks at the, the Maui Photo Festival. And I met Jack, and we decided it would be a good idea to do an interview and bring him on the show. And I'll tell you, when I sat through his talk, it, I basically literally hit my forehead like three or four times like, I need to be doing that. I need to be doing it. I felt like, you know, I felt like I left my house. I'm in Maui and my, my, I left my doors open. You know, you had that sort of feeling of, I need to get to a computer now to register all my images. Um, and the, his book sort of goes through exposing all those pain points and makes it, and makes it really easy for you to understand that. So who is Jack Resnick? He's a, he's a world-renowned and respected commercial photographer. He's based out of New York City. And his client roster consists of a huge list of Fortune 500 companies. He's done all sorts of things. He's been president of the Professional Photographers of America, or PPA. And he's really respected in the photographic community as both um, an accomplished photographer and as a talented educator, as I can attest to, because I am a student now. And in this interview, Jack and I discuss copyright, or copy wrong, as he says it, and how it applies and relates to photographers like you and me everywhere. I'm here with Jack Resnicki, um, as I was saying in the intro there. He's a, he's a photographer who I'm lucky enough to have on the show today. Jack, thanks for coming on. Oh, Frederick, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I mean, the the spread, the buffet you guys had in the green room was terrific. Um, <laughs> you know, it was the limo, and, and it was just wonderful. You know, after your visit, we're going to have to restock the cabinets, so... Uh... <laughs> You know, you know, it's uh, you're, you're more expensive than we thought. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tell all I tell all my clients, I'm not cheap. I'm easy, but I'm not cheap. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, that's my line. So uh, you and I uh, met for the first time in Maui just just this this past a uh, few days ago, actually, at the Maui Photo Festival. Um, yeah, that was that was wonderful. You know, it's it's we got to do those hard trips. You know, it's a shame, but somebody's got to do them. You know, you know, you had to take one for the team. I know it. That's you know. that's right. That's <laughs> right. It was, uh, you know, at a resort, and and you know, the weather was in the the mid to upper eighties, and you know, no clouds in the sky. Just just horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. I'm still trying to recover from the trauma. Trust me. Uh, so I had a chance to sit in on your talk, um, which was all about copyright and uh, specifically as it applies to photographers. And I'll tell you, like I was telling you right, right before I started recording this, um, sitting in your talk, I think it was uh, what an hour and a half, two hours long, at least five or six times I, you know, smacked myself in the forehead of like, oh my, how come I'm not doing that? Oh, I didn't know that, you know. So it became clear that I had to sort of twist your arm to bring you on the show to hopefully make the the listening audience here do the same thing. So, you know, let, let's start off with just who Jack is. You know, who, who's Jack Resnicki? 
Yeah, I'd like to know that myself. <laughs> um, although I'm paying all his bills. Um, well, I've been a, a commercial photographer in New York City for over 30 years. Uh, I graduated from uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, uh, and I don't want to tell you what year, uh, with a, a BFA in photography. Um, came to New York, worked for a lot of really good people as a uh, an assistant, which was a wonderful learning experience. And I was a studio manager for many years. Um, one of my last assisting jobs was I was assistant for Steve Steigman when he shot the Maxell logo with um, uh, the guy in the chair getting blown away mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, by the sound, which was a, a friend of mine, actually. Jack Colello was the model. He was a hair and makeup guy. Uh, uh, that I knew quite well, and uh, uh, opened up my studio. I've worked for uh, a lot of Fortune five, you know, five hundred companies. Uh, a lot of years for um, uh, Reader's Digest. We did a lot of uh, direct mail stuff, which was always cool because um, we were always selling records and books. So we would do all these nineteen uh, forties uh, uh, type of things. A lot of period pieces. Um, I've been working for almost the last twenty years for Toys R Us. I've done a lot of their catalogs, their Christmas catalog. We just finished uh, about uh, two months ago. Now uh, we did our 16th uh, special needs catalog, um, the differently able guide where for about a week or more, we shoot nothing but differently abled kids. Uh, and we've shot in everything over the years and it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful week of shooting. Um, uh, and I know the catalog just came out. If anybody is interested in, in contacting either a local Toys R Us store or, uh, online. But if, if you know differently abled kids, this, this is, has symbols in it, um, to, uh, so you, you know what toys are applicable for which, uh, ability or disability. Uh, so you know which toys are good for large motor skills, for hearing, for social interaction, um, and and I'm very proud of doing that uh, that project. We we line up our crew months ahead of time. Um, it's a very emotional week, and and we've actually had one art director once came for a day and and asked off the project because it it's we we get a lot of kids with uh, uh, different abilities, but they're all fantastic kids, and we have a great time. We could do a whole show on that. I mean, That's it's. Great. Uh, um, um, but I've done a lot of advertising and. Uh, uh, I've had a couple Time Magazine covers, and I've written a couple books, uh, um, uh, two books on commercial photography, uh, and now I have another book out, Photographer's Survival Manual, that I wrote with intellectual property lawyer Ed Greenberg. Which is what I have sitting in front of me right here, right now, and that's that's the main thing I wanted to chat with you about. So what... You know, lots of photographers have different verticals that they associate them, themselves with. Like, you know, some photographers hang their hat on portraits, some ha- hang their hat on HDRs, you know, landscapes, you know, this kind of thing. Um, you're, as you just described, highly skilled in photography. What made you go down the, the route of the legal side and e- explaining this kind of stuff to the photography community? Well, it's something I've always been interested in. Business is something I've always been interested in. And the germ of this started out actually years ago when um, I'm also one of the original Canon Explorers of Light. And uh, Canon asked uh, me, Seth Resnick, and Jeff Shiwi to do a copyright seminar. And I just really hung on you know, to that. Uh, Ed Greenberg, who's an IP lawyer, has been a friend of mine for over 30 years. We've known each other now. We play poker every week, too. And uh, this is what he litigates. Um, he's not just a lawyer who, 
who reads a, you know uh, uh, the laws and then interprets it and writes letters. He he uh, litigates in court in federal court, um, and he's done some very high profile cases. He has a couple out now that are in the news. Uh, he's represented a lot of the uh, top models at like Ford Modeling Agency, and has written a lot of the um, um, contracts for Ford for their supermodels and things. Mm. Um, so we've always gone over things back and forth. So the business side is something I've always been interested in. Um, when you ask some of the things I've done, I've also passed president of PPA, Professional oh, Photographers wow. of America. And so I've been in a unique position to really see a lot of different parts of the business, not just the advertising part, but also uh, what I call the retail part of photography or social photography, which is the wedding and portrait business. And it just, when people had problems, they always seemed to call me and, and I would talk with Ed or I would give them advice. And it just kept progressing along that way. Um, the one thing I do want to say, though, is um, this is a subject generally when, when I go around to speak, a lot of photographers right off the bat go, oh, eh, copyright and legal side, I don't really want to get involved in that. I just want to take pictures. And um, they say, I don't shoot fancy schmancy pictures. You know, I just shoot what I shoot, simple little things. I shoot it for my camera club or I shoot it for this and that. And we try and tell people that, that this stuff can be interesting and fun. Uh, uh, to talk about, uh, and we've tried to do that in the book. It's very uh, accessible, but it's also stuff that affects everybody. It's it's a lot of the people that uh, I've advised or I've talked to um, are are not the big name photographers. Although Ed has a bunch of those uh, that he's represented over the years, but a lot of the cases are just average Joe photographers who've been blindsided basically. Um, or uh, happenstance or circumstance, somebody they photographed is suddenly in the news for something. You what, know. What's, a, what's an example of that, one that you can cite that, that, that particularly sticks out in your mind as, as egregious? Um, well, uh, there's a photographer in Louisiana, uh, Ken Knight, who's a portrait photographer and, and you know shoots very straightforward, simple portraits. And he called me up uh, one of his pictures, which, which was, you know, if you looked at it, it was just, a nice picture, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, but it was a picture of a guy named Jason Alexander, not not the actor, but <laughs> the the guy who married Britney Spears for about seventy two hours, and his picture was showing up in all the news media um, because the wedding itself was an exclusive to a magazine, so the news media didn't have any access to it when it was going on, and everybody wanted to see what he looked like. So his has has happened in in some cases like that. Um, uh, he contacted me um, because the news medias were just picking it up and just uh, they syndicate it, they share it, they they license it basically uh, without asking the photographer's permission. And as you learned from from my lecture, copyright actually stems from the Constitution. It's it's um, uh, right there in Article One, Section Eight is uh, copyright. So freedom of the press doesn't supersede your copyrights. So the newspapers really can't take your copyrighted image and just run with it. So he contacted me, and Ed Greenberg happened to have been in Washington, D.C., and he walked the registration through, which you can. Normally, uh, copyright registration, and you can do thousands of images on one registration, uh, which I do regularly. Um, for $35. Normal registration is $35, but they did what's known as an expedited registration. Mm -hmm. And uh, that right now runs about, I think it's 765 
65 or 80 785 dollars but somewhere in that neighborhood and you can get a registration then and there which is needed because you can't uh you have no leverage or I shouldn't say no leverage you have very little leverage uh without the registration and you can't file a suit in court without the registration so you're um, you're you're in a boat without a paddle basically if you don't if you have registered your image yeah, well, basically, I like to say it's as we say in the book. It's more like having a gun without bullets. <laughs> you know, you you have something very powerful, but you there's nothing you can really do with it unless it's registered. Yeah. So Ken Knight had this registered, and I do know that he's uh, Ed has collected um, um, at least a dozen times uh, for him. I don't, you know, um, I'm not privileged to know the exact details of any of that or who they did, but, uh, I know he went after the news associations and we have several stories like that pictures. You just would never expect. There's a, a very good friend of mine, uh, who's passed away since photographer Stuart Gross went in a, um, uh, a school to shoot uh, for a client. They were shooting the schoolroom and, and real kids and just, you know, snapshots of the kids doing stuff and this and that. And one little girl was very disheveled and uh, uh, she had a little mouse under her eye. Her hair was dirty. and But she was very outgoing. And when you shoot kids, you know that if you ignore a kid, um, especially somebody like that who's very outgoing, they notice it and, and, you know, they're hurt. So Stuart, being sensitive to that, just shot a couple pictures of her you know, really, you know, played her up and made her feel good, and and that was great. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the girl was murdered a week later mm. by her adoptive father, although it was an illegal adoption. Uh, Joel Steinberg, um, who went to jail, and Stewart's pictures um, became pivotal in in the case, according to the district attorney, um, because uh, it proved prior uh, abuse. Uh, which I needed to, that this wasn't some accident that just happened, that she was abused over a period of time. And, and the photographs showed that. Um, and these are pictures um, uh, that were, I don't want to say throwaway pictures, but they basically were. Um, you, you know, there's that famous uh, AP picture of the year of uh, Monica Lewinsky kissing uh, Bill Clinton in the line. That picture was a toss-out. Somebody had to go back and... Um, uh, go through the, his files to find that to find that photo again. Yeah. So it's never the pictures you, you know that you think where where the Monica Lewinsky yeah was a big you know important you know moment uh, and you knew that because it was the president. But here Stuart Gross shot you know a little girl in the classroom that he just did just to make sure she didn't feel bad. And later on they became um, actually historically important pictures. They were in Life magazine as pictures of the year. They were important in the case. Um, and Stuart guarded the licensing of that image very closely. He contributed a lot of money to children's charities because of what this represented. He wasn't just going to take the money. Stewart unfortunately passed away, and in writing our book, uh, Ed discovered another um, infringement of that picture um, by a newspaper who already years previous promised never to run it again and turn over any copies they had. So when this showed up again, and Ed called up their lawyer, uh, it was a, a very fast and large settlement. <laughs> um, and that went to Stewart's widow and his kids. Uh, so, Jack, uh, let, 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 let me ask you this. So a lot of photographers, you know, the, the, so that case in particular, the photographer was cognizant of the fact that his images were being used without his permission. So he was able to move on that, litigate, and get get compensated for it. Um, 
there's there's some myths out there about copyright that photographers adhere to. For example, hey, if I just set up a watermark in Lightroom or Aperture and export my images, and when they go online, I'll be protected. Um, so, or if I use the circle C on all my images or my logo on all my images, I'm protected. Um, you mentioned you could you could register thousands of images for thirty five dollars. Is is it registering them if I just stamp them with a copyright? No, not at all. Um, what, what does it do? Nothing? Is it just a placebo? Uh, no, it's not a placebo. Um, it it used to be required before, uh, I think it's 1986, when the U.S. became a signatory of what's known as the Berne Convention, after we became an international signatory of this international treaty on copyright. Um, it wasn't required to have the Circle C notice anymore. Uh, but what it does do, it puts people on notice that it's a copyrighted image, and they can't claim um, an innocent infringement defense. Um, and all an innocent infringement defense does, it lowers sometimes uh, the statutory damages. It can. Mm. Um, but if you have the symbol on it and somebody removes it, um, that's, that's very serious in the eyes of the court. And uh, uh, you can get punitive damages for that. Um, uh, or at least they make the penitive punitive for doing something like that. There was a famous case of artist uh, Jeff Koons who took a postcard and sent it to his foundry of uh, a, a couple holding the string of puppies. And he had it made into a, um, uh, a sculpture that he sold for you know, obscene amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of the judgment on that came to the fact that he cut off the copyright notice on the postcard before he sent it to his foundry. Um, and because of that, that, that changed the, uh, the penalties. So it takes away that innocent infringement. It does put people on notice. And there are some people who will pause because of that. So then, then take me through the flow, because there, there's, there's a two-part question I have here. There's what should I be doing as a photographer? Um, it sounds like I should be working registering the images that I shoot regardless um, en masse after each shoot. And that should just be part of my workflow. Um, so that that's the one one part of it. How, how do I work it into my workflow or how do you work it into your workflow? And then the second part of that is what about all these social media services out there like Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and oh, all these boy. people are throwing images up there like by the billions, you know? What about those? Should we care? Uh, yeah, very much so. But you you have to read the terms of service, the TOS, for all those services. Frankly, I don't I don't put any pictures up, um, and I wouldn't if I would put any pictures up uh, on on those things. I make sure they're registered ahead of time. But sometimes, just by putting them up, you're giving a licensing to some of those services, mm. um, and um, some of them have gotten really nasty. Or you have to be very careful to make sure you opt out of things. Um, there's been cases of, of like, uh, Toyota pulled pictures off of Flickr and uh, put them in a brochure without telling anybody. And that caused quite an uproar. And I read online where one person said, yeah, they used one of my pictures. I'm waiting for them to contact me to tell me how much they're going to pay me. And I was going, oh, no. <laughs> Hold I'm your breath, waiting, right? <laughs> I'm not waiting for anybody to contact me. I'm going to call them, and we're going to have a serious discussion. And the first thing is... Um, when I find an infringement, honestly, I don't contact anybody. I um, 
I contact my lawyer and let him handle it. And uh, I've collected several times. And But the worst thing to do is, is to either tell someone, you know, you need to pay me X amount or triple this or that. You don't know how many times they've used it. You don't mm-hmm. know if that's the only use. You may be looking at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one thing uh, Ed does right away. He doesn't say, he says, you know, this has been infringed. You need to send me all um, instances. And, and discovery like that, when a lawyer's calling you, if you start hiding stuff, um, it it can get very nasty. So then what, um, what, do, you, what do you do? So what's your, what's your workflow, the Jack Resnicki workflow for you know, well, integrating a, copyright into your, your image ingestion process? Yeah, it, it, for me, it's very simple. It's after every job or after every big uh, event, like going to Maui, I shot a, a, a lot of images. And um, um, uh, what what I do is I make them into small JPEGs at the end of that. And that's one of the things. You want to send in just very small JPEGs compressed to about a, a five uh, compression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like 700 pixels on the longest side. Um and it's really very simple. I have a, an action in Photoshop. I just run through all the pictures. I, I don't, I don't fix them. I don't do anything because um, part of copyright protection is is any derivatives of my images. So if I work on them or combine things, those are derivatives later. So I don't have to re-register. So I just take everything, register it, and it's just the, to me the cost of doing business. Um, if I wasn't a professional photographer, I would try and register every three months. Just grab all my images, you know, dump them together, and um, um, register them. Now, I do it fairly regularly. I mean, I've collected on infringements uh, twice already that I've had to sue people. And um, that's more than paid for all my registrations for <laughs> more than my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, um, but it, it's it's a very simple process. You want to do that. You have to understand that unpublished images are easy to register. Once they're published, it becomes a bit more complicated and can get very complicated. And published doesn't mean that you're you're in a book or you're in a magazine or in a newspaper. Published legally means presented to the public. So if it goes online on your website and your website isn't password protected that anybody can come and see it, that's considered published. Oh no! Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you have a gigantic Flickr gallery that you've been maintaining for years, I'm looking at myself. Um, yeah. And uh, you got images up on Facebook, and none of them are, or you haven't filed for copyright for any of them. Um, you're no, basically exposed on all sides, right? Right. Not filed for copyright. I'm going to have to correct your language because it's something everybody does. It's you're registering your copyright. Registering. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, and 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 sorry to be picky. You know, it's some people like splitting hairs, but it is important to know the terminology. Yeah. Photographers need to understand, you know, what that is. Um, but is it too it, late if you're if well, I'm sure a lot no. of photographers are like me and they they're like, oh crap, okay, I need to get this stuff, I need to get this stuff registered for copyright. How do is it too late for me to do that now, or do I just start no. from here on out? You start from here on out, but you also do your old stuff uh, because you're protected from the date it's registered. Ah, um, okay. Uh, with the with the exception of published work, which there's there's a three month window from first publication um, where you're still protected for a lot of the stuff, but um, you can't be infringed and then register. Um, uh, 
because you lose some of the protections in court, such as statutory damages or lawyer fees, which is one of the big sticks. If you're registered before the infringement, um, the penalties are so large that I would say the vast majority of infringements are settled before they go to court. Uh, mine was just before we went to trial, just before we picked a jury, because the potential is so large um, for uh, large judgments that generally people um, settle beforehand. Yeah. Now, when you, when, you, Jack, when, you, when you mentioned your workflow and you're sizing images down to, to the smallest size, why is that? Why, why do you need to size them down? Shouldn't they be large so you can see the detail in them? Oh, no, absolutely not, because it's, it, it's going to the Library of Congress so people can go in there and, um, you know, pull out the files. Um, I mean, you can go in now and find things that are in public domain and use them. Um, I think I used one of the examples in my um, talk was you can download a scan of the original um, negative of Margaret Brooks White's famous uh, Margaret Mother picture. And you can actually make prints and sell them if you want because it's public domain. That that particular series was done for the WPA, Work Project Administration, and was paid for by taxpayers and as a result falls into public domain, uh, not into copyright protection. Yeah. Um, but uh, the other reason is, too, is that you have to upload them to the in, you know to the internet to register them. That's the easiest way to do it. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be uploading. You know, I've I've registered as many as five thousand images at a time, five and six thousand, and um, it just takes too long to upload. And you're limited to w- one hour sessions. You could do multiple one hour sessions, but you're limited to one hour uploading. Um, also, they only have to be big enough so you can reproduce them in court to prove that that was your picture. Uh, um, okay. Got it. That, so just that's that's the that's the crux of it. You're sitting in the courtroom and they're projecting the image. You got to be able to say, "Hey, that one is equal to that one." Therefore, pay me, right? Exactly. Yeah. What about video? I mean, we're we're in this age now where all these photographers are moving into DSLR video and wedding photographers and fashion photographers. Everyone's shooting, adding multimedia to the mix. So it's not just still images anymore. How does this stuff apply to these big giant video exactly. images? The exact same way. And haven't you ever rented a DVT or a movie and see the FBI warning? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's the FBI warning because copyright infringement is a federal offense. It can only be tried in federal court. You can't go to civil court. If, if you have a lawyer who tries to uh, try it in civil court, you've got to get another lawyer real quick. Um, because all somebody has to do is look at the judge and say, wrong venue. And the judge can't hear the case at all. It's it's the wrong venue. Um, copyright infringement is only it's a federal case. As one person once told me, he said, "You're not going to make a federal case out of this." And I said, "Not my decision. It is a federal case." Yeah. Well, then what about you know when when we're dealing with multimedia as opposed to just exporting small JPEGs? We're looking at gigantic file sizes. How does that work? If I want to get these if I want to get the, these things registered, how do I get how do I get a multi-gigabyte or, you know, terabyte, whatever, video file registered? Uh, you, you have to send in, a, uh, you have to send something in, as they call it, a deposit to the copyright office. And instead of uploading it, odds are you'd put it on something physical and send it in. Okay, okay, got it. So you, you yeah, the, so uploading and that convenience is not available to you. You're going to send them physical media with the, exactly. with the, with it. Okay, so let, let's talk about the Photographer's Survival Manual. It's a legal guide for artists in the digital age. This is your book by uh, you, Jack Resnicki, and Edward C. Greenberg, J.D. Um, why, why write this book? Why now? 
Um, because we're getting inundated more and more by photographers coming up and coming, you know, with problems. Uh, it's it's amazing the stuff that's been coming up. While the internet has made it um, um, real easy for people to take your images, basically, uh, it's also easy to find the infringements these days. Plus, we're finding a lot of infringements actually aren't on the internet too. I should say Ed's been getting a spate of things that are showing up on clothes, on T-shirts. Mm. Um, he had one on a Broadway show where they had somebody's image is like a main part of the background and reproduced in the um, um, in the uh, brochure and some other things. Um, we're finding all sorts of usages on, on beer packaging. Ed has one on a, with a model um, uh, on a shot that was taken about 25 or 30 years ago, uh, a Ford model. And they put it on a, a beer package, uh, a well-known beer. Why that image? Why one that old? You know, I don't know. But highly recognizable person, and um, uh, it's a very good case. Wow! Wow! Very good case of beer too. But that's something <laughs> else. That's great. So the the survival manual or photographers order this. Um, you know, and I'm looking through it. I, I, it it should pay for itself many many times over but what what can i expect once you know if i'm a new photographer i just heard this interview and i'm like okay i need to learn more about copyright what can i expect to get out of this book from the you know if i read it soup to nuts yeah well um there's two things in here that that i think are important the one thing everybody says the book is is completely worth it and and by the way it's not an expensive book it's uh i think Twenty four ninety five, and if you get it on Amazon, you know it's like a ridiculously low price. I think under seventeen dollars. Yeah, yeah, um, I got it. It was it was next to nothing. It was you know an, an yeah. easy Amazon Prime purchase. Yeah, I think our royalty on this. I think I make a nickel or something. Um, but <laughs> the reason we have it out is to help photographers. And the number one thing they say about it is that we have a step by step, screen by screen. Um, um, a workflow on registering your copyright with the copyright office's um, ECHO system, ECO, which is electronic copyright. Um, and if you do it on your own, the first time it can be very frustrating. There's a couple little things, like there's one screen that comes in truncated that you have to know you have to expand because it, it took about a half an hour of my life that I'll never get back to <laughs> figure that out. Because the, the interface with the copyright office, I think, is probably done by the lowest bid. So we, we have a whole screen-by-screen, step-by-step, how to register, what questions you have to answer, what screens you need to skip. Um, the second thing, and, and that's for everybody, that's uh, for amateur photographers, I highly recommend it, for uh, especially professionals too, but any photographer who wants to protect their work, it's registration, and we go over this over and over again, it's it's um, insurance for your images. Uh, I'll be in a room of photographers, and I'll say, how many of you guys insure your cameras? And, you know, almost all the hands go up. So how many people insure your images with registration? And we figure less than 5% of photographers register their images, and that's probably a, a, a very generous percentage, um, wow. if I even say 5%. And it's like putting on a seatbelt. Um, you know, the analogy that, that we've used and you heard me state is uh, I get into a car, I put on my seatbelt. I, I don't want to be in an accident. I don't expect an accident. But there's a reason they call it an accident. 
Yeah. Um, and it comes out of nowhere. And it's like, well, gee, this has never happened to me before. We hear from people who've been infringed. And I've been doing this for so long, and I've never had a problem. Well, well, now you have a problem. And it just eats at you when you see somebody stealing your images and profiting it from, from it. And then if it's not a registered image, you find out that there's very little you can do. Um, I've had many photographers say they've been infringed, it wasn't registered, and um, uh, it, it basically just cost them so much aggravation and money to go after it to find out that it wasn't worth going after. Yeah. If it's registered, it's a whole different ball game. Um, if it's a registered image, you have a very large stick and um, uh, the terms of collecting it change quite a bit. A lot of cl- a lot of people, and they know this. They know photographers don't register. We've heard cases where they just try and put off the photographer. They say, you know, you, you know, I, yeah, I got your image. If you don't like it, well, too bad. What are you going to do about it? You know, sue me. And it costs. You can't collect if it's not registered. One, if it's not registered, you can't even file in court. But let's say you register afterwards, and, and they know that you can only collect as much as you normally would and the legal costs are higher. If it's registered, um, the penalties are, it can go up to $150,000 per occurrence. It could include your lawyer fees. Um, and it's, it's not actual damages. It's statutory damages. Um, what's the, what's the heard, difference? What's the difference between actual and statutory? Uh, it's the difference between a lightning bug and lightning. <laughs> um, it means if you normally sell your, excuse me, you never sell your images. Yeah. Ed would scream at me. You license your images. If you normally license your images, you know, for that type of usage for $300, $500, $2,000, that's what the court is going to award you um, with actual damages. The statutory damages, as I said, go up to $150,000 per occurrence. And what's an occurrence? Uh, that, is it is that like if someone printed 100,000 t-shirts with your licensed image on there without your permission, they get uh, one occurrence is one t-shirt or is the whole event or the whole lot one occurrence? I honestly don't know. That's a lawyer question. I do know that I've heard cases where the judgments have run into the millions. Wow. There was one where the lawyers argued afterwards that, um, you know, they fought it and they said, well, it's, 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 it's so punitive, you know, it's such a bad uh, amount that it's so much that it's punitive and it goes beyond, you know, what it is. And the court said, absolutely not. They say Congress is very specific on the damages. It's, um, and uh, they upheld this multi-million-dollar uh, damage suit on uh, copyright. It's a, it's a very serious uh, issue. Yeah. Um, so I want, to, I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I want to paint a, a real-world situation. Now, let's say a photographer's out there, advanced amateur, maybe he's a dentist, and he shoots in his spare time, shoots landscapes, um, goes out and shoots a bunch of images at Yosemite National Park, grabs an amazing image of El Capitan, uploads it to Flickr, and notice I skipped the whole, you know, registering the copyright. So he uploads it to Flickr. Fast forward two years later, um, he sees he's driving somewhere in New York City, and in Times Square he sees his image up there promoting some Broadway show. Um, right. What a For this instance, what's his recourse? Well, actually, in that specific case, and the thing is all these cases are case-specific, mm-hmm. um, first thing he would do is register it right away. And because it's on a billboard, um, 
you have some leverage saying you want to take them down immediately, which may not be possible, which means uh, they'd have to settle with you. If it shows up on a product or something that's like in a gazillion stores, you still have the right under copyright to say, I don't want it there. You know, I, w- I want an injunction to take it down. And the cost of taking it down may be so high that it gives you a leverage there. Um, but and uh, let's bring it down. Let's say it's not a billboard in Times Square. Mm-hmm. It, it's um, uh, a case I had, which was a very simple case. I took a picture of a little girl, and it showed up on a website that sold coffee online. Okay. You know, discount coffee. Yep. And uh, simple shot, uh, simple abuse, you know, basically. But the, but the image was registered. If it wasn't registered, all I could probably do is get him to remove the image. Um, if I wanted to sue, a lawyer was going to cost me more um, than I'd be able to collect. Uh-huh. Because in that type of usage, maybe uh, how much how much could I possibly get for an Internet small picture and something? Um, uh, let's say I, because of my fees, maybe $1,500, $2,000. My lawyer fees would probably run to that amount, if not more, uh, probably more knowing how much Ed charges. Um, but now with a registered copyright when we went after them you know well we took it down it said well you know you may have taken it down but i've been damaged it's a registered image um we deposed them you know they tried to brush us off but we filed suit in court and they you can't brush that off you can't say go away i mean i've, I've had friends who've called up clients who say oh you know uh, you know this is a nothing and a nothing usage go ahead and sue me and and the smart ones go tell you what Give me your lawyer's name or call your lawyer and, and tell him that this is a registered image. And and suddenly somebody calls back very sheepishly and, and they try and settle very quickly. Because nice. um, they realize that it's it's uh, we, we can't emphasize the difference between having it registered and not registered. Not registered, I can tell you from cases with Ed, um, he's had cases where if it's registered the settlements can run in easily into six figures wow. for for a simple shot, nothing special. Without the registration, it goes from six figures to three figures. Wow. From six to three. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You, you're talking quite a difference. And, yeah. and it's shocking. I, I can't tell you the number of photographers who find out the hard way um, about registration and um, and we keep trying to tell people it's not just commercial professional photographers this happens to amateurs all the time so Jack um, should, I, should I do this should the next step for photographers listening to this should they be going out or should they just boot up their Lightroom or Aperture or whatever library and set up a, a an export for a small JPEG and export their entire libraries and head over to the the copyright office and regist- upload every single image they have should is that the next step yep i register everything i don't edit you know i just send it all in when you know whatever i have in uh in lightroom is is my choice these days um and the url for the copyright office mm-hmm. is real simple it's copyright dot gov easy dot gov if you go to copyright dot com you'll go to a site that's going to try and sell you something because it's a commercial site um, but you go to the dot gov they also have a step by step you can download um, 
it's a little more difficult than ours and doesn't explain some of the stuff. But if if you don't want to spring for the sixteen or seventeen bucks for our book, um, it's all available online and you can get it. I mean, our our interest, Fred and me, is just to get more people to register their work. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, there's several sources, you know, get the information. The first time you do it, give yourself a good hour online to figure everything out and get it done. But then you can save what you do as a template. Um, and even, a- even if you don't save it as a template, the second time you go through, it goes, it goes much easier and uh, quicker once, yeah. once you get the hang of it. Okay, so fast forward. I've, I've, I've exported all my images. I've got them uploaded. I'm happy. I, I you know, let out a sigh of relief. Now what? Now how do how do I police them? How do I know if someone's stepping on my toes and using my images? I can't be on I can't be online all time. You know, all the time, every day. What's, what's, I thought what's you my, were. <laughs> no, very rarely. What's my recourse? How do, how do I keep an eye on this stuff? Well, you depend on friends. Um, uh, you do. There's two things I recommend. Um, uh, the first and best one I think right now is there are image recognition software out there. Um, there's a free one at a site called tinei.com, T-I-N-E-Y-E. Okay. And you can upload your image, and it'll look through uh, its database, and it sends you know robots out, you know the bots out to scour the Internet like Google does. Their database isn't as big as Google's. I mean, I'd love to hear the day that Google buys this company and and uses their database to get everything on the internet uh but their but their resources is pretty good um and it's free which we always like and it's a real easy way to check for your images the second way um is just to make sure anytime you upload your images give it a unique name that you can find um you know a word or a, um a string of letters or something don't put up jpeg1 jpeg2 or photo1 photo2 um, generally, people who infringe online don't change the file name. Mm. So you can do a Google search um, uh, for it, and um, uh, that's a good way. You know, you go Google Images and just do a search for that unique string, and you might be able to find uh, an image that way. Cool. Okay, so now um, my, I've exported my images. They're uploaded. Um, you know, I've let out that sigh of relief, and I found someone who's using one of my images, one of my registered images. How do I find someone? You, know, you said you mentioned, you know, don't contact the, the infringer, contact a lawyer first. How do I find right. a lawyer? I mean, you know, you open the, the phone book or go on Google or whatever, there's gazillions of them. How do I know which one is right for me? Well, you want to make sure you get the right one because it's 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 like a mechanic. I mean, you can get an you don't want to hire an auto mechanic to fix your airplane. You know that's that's an uh, an you know uh, what should we call it uh, mechanic, yeah. uh, avionics mechanic. Yep. Um, you know, or vice versa. A law, just a lawyer, because I've run into some lawyers who really really don't know this stuff. You need somebody who's an intellectual property lawyer, and you want to know that they've actually litigated cases. 
ask you have to ask around um, and uh, find a lawyer that actually litigates and does these types of cases. You, it doesn't pay to get a lawyer that's you know your your um, you know your neighbor's sister's uh, boyfriend is now a lawyer and you're going to use him because you know he he's new and and uh, is going to be cheap. Um, it's not going to help you. You need an intellectual property lawyer, one that. Um, uh, handles these types of cases and has litigated, not just that they're a copyright lawyer, because there's a bunch out there that don't litigate. Um, they don't go to court. Uh, I found out from um, uh, an injury lawyer that I know, um, uh, she's a very good lawyer. She gets hired by other lawyers who usually try and settle cases for their clients regularly. That's what they do. But if somebody doesn't want to settle and they have to go to court, that lawyer has never been in court, and they'll tell their clients, well, we're going to bring in a specialist in your case uh, to help in the case because uh, it's really going to be for for your benefit. Mm -hmm. What they're really saying is, we've never been in court. You know, we don't litigate. We need somebody to do it for us, so we're bringing in a pinch hitter, basically. Mm -hmm. They're outsourcing your case, right? Exactly. You also want to find a lawyer that, that handles federal cases because copyright's a federal case and federal court is a different set of courts it's it's the big leagues you also want a lawyer who knows where to file because filing in the wrong federal circuit can can short circuit your case um, a friend of mine had a software case where he was infringed he sued and uh, lost uh, the judge gave him like nothing for for the infringement because uh, the judge didn't understand it uh, because they they filed somewhere in the Midwest I think and he was told later that his lawyers should have filed uh, in like California uh, or in, in like Boston or New York area because uh, those circuits understand um, software issues and they've heard those types of cases before. So it's it's interesting to um, we, now Ed and I have a a, a website uh, called thecopyrightzone.com. TheCopyrightZone.com. Yeah, a lot of articles on that that we write. And we have a four-part series about questions to ask when you hire a lawyer. And actually, one of the parts are questions the lawyers asking themselves to see if they want to take on your case. Um, and it, it's a good blog, uh, a lot of good information there. Um, uh, and again, it's free, which is always a, a, a good thing for listeners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but ask around, ask friends that that might know lawyers who've, who've handled this type of case. Um, you really want to make sure you get the right lawyer. You want to make sure you're not getting a uh, auto mechanic to fix your airplane problem. Yeah. Um, so where where can folks go to learn out to learn more about you and see some of your work and and learn more about this uh, this this copyright law and all that magic? Well, the the copyright zone uh, is is a great place for a blog. If they want to see my personal work, I have a personal website, which of course is everybody says, you know, I'm I'm about to change and fix, which I haven't done in a few years. Uh, but my work they could see at riznicki dot com, r e z n i c k i dot com, um, and I will tell you every single image has been duly registered. <laughs> And, so don't go stealing anything from there. <laughs> oh well, well, no. On the contrary, when somebody steals my work, uh, all, the only thing that runs through my mind is ka-ching. Um, 
So steal as long as you have money in your bank account, right? <laughs> oh, even if you don't, we'll we'll still go after you because it's it's um there's some things uh it's amazing what can happen when you win a case in federal court. I mean, it, you know, as I say, um, you know, speak softly and carry a big lawyer. That's um, great. That's great. Well, thank you, thank you, Jack, so much for coming on and uh, and, and sort of scaring the bejeebas out of everybody <laughs> with this stuff. I think this is, you know, like we talked about before. I clicked the record button. My goal for this interview was, you know, not so much to to go into every chapter in the photographer's survival manual, the book, but more to just cue back a corner a little bit of some of the things that photographers may be overlooking and tease them into learning more and w- about what they should be doing with their work. I think we succeeded. So thank you. I hope so. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, for in the, uh, the blog post for this, this uh, interview, we'll definitely link over to the book so people can just jump over and pick it up. Again, it's under 20 bucks, you know, and it's uh, probably the best 20 bucks you've ever spent. And after you win your first case for being infringed upon, I suggest you send money over to Jack to, yeah. <laughs> to thank sure. him, to thank him for, uh, for saving your butt. <laughs> Donations are, are more than welcome. I, I will tell you, though, we, we did write the book before anybody gets scared that it's going to be some big legal tome or something that, you know, oh, my God, it's going to hurt my hair to read this. It, it's written very light and, and easy reading, and it's, it's meant to be read by creative people who we know are not going to read big, heavy, uh, you know, uh, detailed things. It's, it's written for people to really understand uh, these issues. Yeah. And it has cartoons in it, too, which is it, Yeah, there are, there are lots of cartoons. I love it. It's, uh, it's really easy to understand, and it's, uh, I think it's a must. I think you should, uh, you know, photographers, this should be one of those bricks in your, in your learning wall that you know, if you don't have this one filled in, you, you, water's going to rush through. So definitely pick it up. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jack. Okay, that was Jack Resnicki. If you'd like to learn more about Jack, just head over to his website at resnicki.com. That's R-E-Z-N-I-C-K-I.com. Or check out his work on copyright for photographers at thecopyrightzone.com. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.